Hey there, my wonderful podcast listeners. Welcome to The Finnovator. Stuart here, uh, head honcho. Is that, can we say head honcho? That sounds really pompous. Let's just go with founder of Adere, uh, leverage advice firm, all of that sort of stuff, which by now I reckon you all have known all about. So I'm going to stop saying it. How's that? Hey, welcome to uh, another one of our masterclasses. If you've been listening so far, you'll know my goal is to have conversations with either great practitioners, program members who've done great things, subject matter experts, or just people who have great experiences on which to draw from. And we dive deep onto, from a practice point of view, what it is they did, how they went about it, the mistakes they made. So you, dear financial expert out there, whether you're an accountant, advisor, mortgage broker, you can draw upon that and you know either model what they've done or alternately... Uh, yeah, avoid the mistakes they've made. And today, we've got something for the systems people out there. Now, I know systems is not the most interesting of topics for most of us, but you know what? There are very few businesses that make the leap from lifestyle business, from hard to manage to something that operates without, you know, the people who founded it, uh, without this. I actually think that's a really good definition of any sort of true business, which is when it can generate revenue, uh, and the founder, the persons, people who started it are no longer responsible. That's when you say you've got a business. And uh, the gentleman I'm talking to today, David Carney, he knows a lot about that. He's been a business coach for as long as I can remember. That's how we first met. Uh, but most importantly, a few years back, uh, he recognized there was a very real need in the industry, particularly in the financial advice industry over here, to provide advice businesses with the ability not just to outsource or offshore things, but most important to do it in a way that was secure, run by people who knew how to manage systems and processes, and equally importantly, create a business underneath it that kept a great team engaged and motivated. And with virtual business partners, that's exactly what he'd done. I flew over uh, to Cebu in the Philippines last year to kind of speak at an event. Uh, and also got the opportunity to meet uh, a, a bunch of people there and get a feel for it. I actually, first time I get the opportunity to, to, to sort of spend some time face-to-face with Jennifer, who's our business manager. Hey, Jen. And it was good to get her flavor on it. And she came back recognizing that the way that they do it over there is, is different. So, look, I guess this is interesting for a few reasons. Uh, I've called it knowledge systems and outsourcing because a lot of what David's going to talk about is the importance of capturing the knowledge that is inherently, uh, I guess, gained when you as a practitioner go through the process of starting and developing a business, how to create systems around that, and also that key bit of if you are either going down the path of outsourcing, starting it, or you've tried it and it hasn't succeeded, here's what you need to know about what maybe you should do, should avoid, or could do better that's going to make it work for you. But most of all, you know, if you want to talk about to somebody who's actually done it, I mean, it's all very well speaking to someone who has outsourced successfully in their business, but you have to understand, David and his significantly large team over there, getting bigger by the month, have done it not just for one or two businesses, but you know, literally hundreds. So they know how to do this on scale, and those are the kind of people that I didn't let you, but I want to hear from. So without any further delay, let me hand over to David uh, for our Finnovator uh, podcast this week, which is Knowledge, Systems, and Outsourcing. Those of you who will already know David will know that uh, he's had quite a varied career. He's been an advisor and he's been a business coach for a number of different uh, great firms, most, most, most obviously B-Star and Sherlaws. Uh, and now he runs, uh, which I, I doubt there are a few larger and more sort of comprehensive 
then virtual business partners in Cebu. I'm, no doubt some of you have met David. He's, uh, he's one of those people that uh, I think most of us at some point in time in the industry have, have come across. But if not, you're in for an absolute treat because today we're going to uh, sort of draw on some of his, his knowledge, his expertise, and really his approach to building a business that uh, isn't easy to do. The interesting thing about uh, a lot of businesses, power planning businesses like this, uh, you know, any sort of business where it relies on staff is eventually sooner or later it goes from being a, a business that is about doing something to be an HR business, a training business. And uh, a lot of businesses don't make that leap that David has. And we're going to talk about how he has. Uh, we're going to talk about sort of the evolution of the industry. We're going to give you everything you need to know about outsourcing as well as most importantly, how he is, has scaled what is traditionally a very difficult business to scale. If you don't know uh, David, he, actually, interesting, he, he's like me. He started a business very young at the age of 13. I think you mentioned he was mowing lawns around Canberra. But anyway, let's, without any further uh, delay, let's, let me jump across. Dude, how are you? I'm good. Hey, man, um, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of people may already know a little bit about you and about the business, but for those who don't or maybe have a high-level view, do me a favor, just explain what do you do who do you help? A little bit about how it works. So, you know, we're a specialist rather than a generalist. So as an outsourcing business, we only work with financial service companies. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner and I, who founded the business about six years ago now, um, both come from the, you know, financial planning services background. So we, you know, we just saw that there was a, an opportunity in a marketplace, felt that there was, this could be something that we could scale and, you know, that's sort of, you know, the journey that we went on. But, you know, essentially we do, you know, anything that isn't really client-facing activity. Um, so, you know, it's a range of different admin tasks. So when I first started researching and working, you know, as you mentioned, I, I did work, you know, coaching some clients. And I used to go in and sort of look at, you know, what, you know, what the sort of back-end business model, you know, sort of was. And, I just saw that there was a lot of tasks that, you know, people would have a power planner doing and then somewhere else they'd have an admin person doing. There was certain, you know, there was just no consistency um, and no one really understood what it was costing them to deliver advice. Yeah. You know, things were pretty, um, margins were pretty good. You know, we didn't have, you know, and I'm talking, you know, probably just pre-FOFA or just around that time frame. Um, and so we just sort of looked at it and said, you know, so many of these things that could be, you know, outsourced um, to free up admin people. And I remember one of my times when I sat in an office and I had to, saw this girl, I was due to meet one of the advisors um, and I was in Melbourne and I had a rush, like I had limited time and she was sitting on the phone and she was desperately trying to engage with me but she was stuck on this phone call and she was clearly with a product provider. She was, you know, waiting and she'd probably waited 20, 25 minutes, you know, and so while she acknowledged me, she sort of was, you know, I just sat there and then, you know, probably 10 minutes went past. Um, and then finally she was able to get off that phone call. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and the advisor was waiting, sitting there in the back office waiting for me. I'm sitting in, and it's just one of these classics of just going, if that's the client experience, you know, yeah. uh, and there was nothing wrong with the, the girl herself, but it's just we're forcing them to do all this. And so we just go, you know, all the admin, power planning, all of those typical things are the stuff that, you know, we've developed ways to sort of, you know, basically get off people's desks because, you know, we have a firm belief that the Australian staff, you want to pay for good quality Australian staff who can help you engage with clients Absolutely. 
and really deliver value proposition. Anything else, you know, outsource. So that's sort of, you know, you know. So we, there's a real broad range, as you said, but basically it's admin. Uh, we do some bookkeeping work um, for our clients. You know, so it could be accounting, payroll, right. those sort of things. And then we do some marketing support. Yeah, you do. I mean, when we sat down and talking about it, it was like, yeah, we can do document, we do processes, we can do coding, we can do... It's just the range of stuff that you can do was 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 super impressive. Um, that was that was the main thing. Just let's do me a favor. Just you talked about we, and I, I I think you've got a big firm. So can you give us a bit of background? Who who's involved? How many how many staff? Where are they based? Just give us give us the profile. Yeah. So um, so we're all based in the Philippines, uh, in a city called Cebu, and I sort of always describe Cebu is like Brisbane would be to Sydney. So if Sydney's Manila. Cebu is, uh, is, is sort of Brisbane. So it's the second okay. largest area. It's a, um, you know, it's got a strong regional area as far as university. It's a bit of a university town. Um, and we're fortunate that we're in, we've got, as we've expanded, we've got three office locations, but all in the one building. Um, we've now got about 300, I think it's 374 staff as of today. How many? Uh, 300 and... 374, yeah. 374, okay. Wow. And, uh, you know, 100-plus clients. Um, so, you know, some clients, you know, just have one support. Many have multiple. Uh, and then we have, you know, a range of those staff are there to support, you know, the business, et cetera, and, and those <laughs> sorts of things. Um, and in that, I think we have now 70-plus paraplaners. Okay, 70-plus paraplaners. And... What are, you've got, you actually have a whole management structure in place. It's not just like everybody works. There's, you, you have managers who manage the team as well. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a range of, you know, we have what we call team leaders, which, you know, where once you get to a certain size, uh, we sort of put one of the, the, the people as a team leader. So that would be for companies that sort of, you know, maybe have five or six people all working for them. Uh, and then we have, um, you know, what we call, you know, client service managers. We have cluster. Yep. Um, yeah, a whole a whole range of things that you've got to have to support that. And, you know, that's all been a bit of a journey. We didn't sort of uh, factor those sorts of things in, but we just saw that the importance of, you know, I'll probably bring it up later, but one of the key things that we've learnt is that it's all about relationship um, okay. for us. So, you know, these client services, you know, are part of building that relationship. So they work with our clients. You know, if clients want to task something new, they're the ones that they go to first. They'll coordinate, you know, have we done this before? Is You know, have we got some systems already? Do we gotcha. need to get out document? You know, so we have document writers. We have trainers. I think we have um, five trainers now um, that are sort of, and, and then we have four document writers. So we have a range of things to, to support um, because one of the things we've learned along the way is that, you know, um, we have a key saying in our business, which is, you know, we want to set our team up for success. Yeah. So are we doing everything we possibly can to give them the highest probability of, you know, being able to work with that firm? And often that means that we have to take the firm on a bit of a journey to teach them, you know, how to document, how to process, how to let go of stuff, how to outsource things. And so, you know, we have a lot of support to make that as easy as possible. Perfect. So let's go back a bit. And I've got some great questions coming in. Damien, I've got yours, Ian, yours too. And I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to ask them all. But I want to just take it back a bit because you, you, weren't, you weren't always in this space. You started off, started off in advice. Is that right? 
Yeah, look, I started working in, um, I started working way back. Um, so I, I was just telling you earlier, I, I was 50 yesterday. So I'm actually... Happy birthday, dude. I yeah, should have mentioned so, that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I started, you know, pretty early in my mid-20s, um, or even earlier than that, working for a company called um, First, oh, a company called State Bank. And they had a little okay. uh, fledgling um, investment company called First State uh, Financial Services, which is... <laughs> yeah. um, and a thing called the Imputation Fund, and that was Chris Cuff and all the successes of that. Obviously, morphed into Colonial First State, bought by Commonwealth. But I started, I, and I was in banking in those days. But I was very interested then in, you know, I suppose what was happening on, you know, what was all this, you know, in the finance space. Uh, I was living in, I, I was born and bred in Canberra, so um, at that time, and then I went overseas, did a bit of travel, the normal sort of backpacking things, and came back and moved to Sydney and got into financial planning because um, I thought Sydney's the centre of, you know, some finance and ended up working for Westpac um, as an advisor and back those days, I think it was a two-week training course and uh, <laughs> I was just caught up with a, a mate of mine that because uh, I had a... a, a bit of a celebration up here and a few people and you know we started together on uh, on that together so we'll sort of reminisce the training or lack of training or the simplicity of those sort of <laughs> things so you know I, I did as little as quickly as I could in the institution um before I went out and wanted to get you know I always wanted to sort of do something on my own I did that uh ended up getting my own license uh when yep. I was one of the first to get an AFSL when that wow. Beijing came in. Now, when was this? Oh, that was probably 2000 and I'm going to say three. Uh, but it was okay, one so of the first. That's so, pretty early. I mean, what what, what motivated you back then? Because about it was difficult, sort of in the in the 2000s. But 2003, people were like, "What? Why don't you? Yeah. Why did you do that?" Um, it's a good question. And in hindsight, <laughs> I, I sort of uh, I don't you know, and it, it's a different you know. I, I guess it was you know wanting to you know there was a lot of conflicted sort of, um, you know, the, the licensees at the time were all sort of trying to own, you know, own platforms or products or, yeah. um, and, you, you know, and, and take margins, you know, whether it was Macquarie Wrap or, you know, um, you know, speak to, you know, something where they were either developing. And I just sort of thought that if I could, um, you know, control all that, minimise, you know, and, and just, you know, get the best outcomes for the for the client. So, you know, that's why we sort of went Fair. It was myself and a partner at the time, and you know we just thought that that was the best idea. Um, so, you know, so from from a very early, I mean, at that level, and I know I know from talking to you, you're you're very much about processes and systems, and and you're a system thinker. But that would have primed you pretty early to understand all the nuances of of, of supporting a you know fully independent uh, practice back when it wasn't done, right? Yeah, you know, like we had a little bit of consulting work. Um, you know, to help with the licensing, but there wasn't really any ongoing or audit consult, you know, like that sort of wasn't, you know, as prevalent as it is today. So yeah, look, it was, it was, it was pretty challenging, but there was only two of us giving advice. You know, we had, um, you know, um, some support staff later on, we sort of authorized a couple of others, you know, but, um, you know, it was fairly controlled at that stage. So, okay. you know, um, and what kind of, what kind of advisor were you? Uh, so, I worked uh, predominantly with accounting firms, so okay. I guess though it's quite fortunate that I managed to crack the code of being able to work, you know, with accounting firms. So I didn't work inside the firms, but I had a number of firms, and one particular one I was in Balmain 
in Sydney, um, in a sort of um, just on the fringes of, of the CBD. That was at B Star's office, which was beautiful, man. Is that yeah, well, that was yeah, yeah. They used to sublease our office. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I came there once, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah, big uh, sort of warehouse type thing. Yeah, yeah. it was very because it was very unusual back then because people didn't do that. Now it's more common, but back then it was like, wow, we're not in the city, and this looks like a warehouse. It was amazing. Yeah, and we were trying, you know, that was a distinct, you know, we wanted to position differently and I, I wanted to get, you know, we, we work with a lot of business owners um, typically, you know, through that an accounting relationship um, and, you know, we just wanted to sort of put them in a place where they felt a little bit different. It wasn't as sort of corporate because, you know, we are very much, um, you know, about, I, I suppose, what, you know, people would call a... I don't know, goals-based advice or lifestyle, you know, those sorts of things. So it was a, yeah. a software system we used to use, I don't know, you know, called Presswood uh, and a guy by the name of um, Paul Etheridge out of the US. So, okay. uh, sorry, out of the UK. And we adopted a lot of his principles. So <laughs> Presswood was full cash flow modelling software um, and was in the market probably for about 10 years and then they just pulled it from the Australian market. Which oh, that's is- a shame. Was ahead of its time, you know, and so that's what we sort of did. Mm. What was it called? Paul Lethridge and Paul Lethridge and Presswood was the the uh, Presswood at the time. Still exists. Sounds like a, sounds like a doc, Doctor Who spin-off series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Paul was an interesting guy. He was. Uh, I learned a lot of off him. Um, so he used to come out a couple of times a year uh, and sort of you know run some sessions, etc. You know, for those that were using the software. But yeah, it was pretty good. So tell me about, there's obviously a period where you were, were coaching and I, I mean, I guess you worked with Oliver Kristen at Sherlaws. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was cool. a big, he was one of the big, my big motivations for, for doing what I do now independently. Yep. Um, talk to me about the evolution from coaching into, you know, essentially starting virtual business partners. How did that happen? Yeah. So look, I mean, so, you know, so we had some life events, you know, I was sort of progressing along um, and when my daughter, we were just talking about kids there, and my daughter was six <laughs> months old and uh, my wife got breast cancer. So she's all good now. She's as fit as any person alive probably. But at the time, you know, she was a hormonal breast cancer. It was quite, um, uh, you know, she was only sort of mid-30s. Um, and so, you know, I and, and I'd come to a, a juncture where I was fully sort of, you know, I was working a lot of hours, trying to grow a business, all these sorts of things. Um, and my business partner at the time, um, who had come, who had, had been a BDM, uh, and I'd sort of convinced him to come across to the dark side or, or vice versa, uh, yeah. and had been with us for three years, and then he decided to go back to corporate world. And then two right. weeks later, you know, Kylie got diagnosed. Um, and that sort of, you know, with a six-month-old, she had numerous surgeries, different, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was pretty tough times. I mean, you know, one of the the interesting thing is, you know, how supportive clients were. And it almost got to a stage where I had to ring clients back up and, you know, they knew about the situation and say, look, it's okay to contact me again. You know, like, oh, you know, there's wow. clients. But that sort of left, you know, me in a, in a, in a situation where you know, I ended up selling half of the business uh, and I'd been doing some work with Jim Stackpole back in those days. So this whole idea of sort of, you know, and I'd never even thought about that, but that, allowed me to sort of start to really think about, well, what sort of business, you know, because when I, you know, when you start, you know, like a lot of people I'm sure is, you know, um, you know, you'll take on anyone and anyone that the accountants would refer or any, ref, you know, referral I was able to, to get to or yeah. 
you would sort of work with. <laughs> but um, as a result of that, um, you know, I, I guess I looked at um, just, I used to have a lot of these, so these business owners and some would be retired, some would still working. And I looked at it and went, they'd get into my boardroom and we'd be talking about their financial planning and, you know, whatever it is. But what was really interesting to me is that there was two types. There yeah. was those that had um, seemed to have it all, right? You know, they were financially successful, um, but they had interests and time and, you know, everything was sort of really good. And they were a much smaller group of people. And then there was this larger group of people that it felt like the financial success had come at a cost. Yeah. And the cost was relationships or time or interest. Yeah, that's fair. That's but, super fair. Yeah. And I was looking at it and I was going, you know what, I sit in the, I don't, I, I, the business and how I was trying to run was very much in the, in the second camp. Um, and having the, you know, the life sort of event with my wife, you know, the things I guess it made me really look at it and I said, fundamentally, what do these other people do that the others aren't doing? And it came down to, you know, the Michael Gerber stuff, the idea of just they work smarter, not harder, you know. And so I guess I really got caught up on that and, and ended up deciding that, you know, through some, you know, that I'd, I'd move out of financial planning, sold the other business, retained some core clients for a little while and then started to think that I wanted to help business owners to work smarter, not harder. You know, Brilliant. why do we, you know, why do we put, you know, we, we, we see it seems to come at a cost and it was a real challenge. And I guess that led me to working, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't really know it at the time calling it coaching, but it was sort of just supporting a, mm. or a I went to the States, did some studies over there, came back, and then I found I was just, you know, a couple of colleagues or whatever from the industry would say, can you help us, you know, do a strategy day or help us work this? And one of the things I learned is if you can solve an industry bottleneck, you know, you can actually have, um, you know, you can build a really successful business. And so I guess I kept on coming back to the industry bottleneck um, is the amount, you know, just we're all constrained by all the compliance and back office and admin and all these yeah. things. And typically in a, in a smallish business, you know, we have Mary that resigns and she leaves the next minute, you know, everyone's back on the tools, you know, because when two replaced and trained someone and everything grinds to a halt. And so yeah. it's sort of like, Oh, you know, surely there's a better way. And so it didn't matter whether it was a big firm, small firm. Um, we ended up, you know, I, I just saw that that was the opportunity. So, and around about that time, I'd probably read the four-hour working week, like a lot of people. <laughs> you know? I quit my job because of that. Yeah. I quit my job because of that. Yeah, that's, that's such a great book. Yeah, and I just sort of went, oh, you know, is this, you know, is that, is that possible? You know, you know, is that at all possible? Um, yes. And so that's what sort of, I guess, led us to go, well, um, you know, can we work, you know, with businesses? And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of business um advisors, a lot of work being done that's all about the value proposition at the time because yep. you know, FOPA was coming in and we had to have opt-ins and different things and, you know, our FDS. So, yep. and and they were all, you know, that's all valid. But I was going, I could see that not only are we going to have pressures on what we've got to deliver, but we're going to have pricing pressures. I'm going um, to write this. I'm going to write this down because I think it's really relevant. Sorry to interrupt you. It's 
systems aren't sexy, but the outcomes are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to talk about systematization, but when you actually see what's on the other side of it, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, sorry, and, dude, keep going. You know, when I often say systems, um, systems set you free because if you've got, you know, and, and one, of these, um, one of these quotes that Paul Lethbridge used to say is, um, you know, don't do routine, don't do, um, don't use original thought for routine activities. <laughs> don't use original, original thought for routine activities. What does that mean? And then, like, let's break it down. For an advisor, how would you interpret that? What's, you know. So, if it's something that is going to be repeatable, can we create a system so that we don't have to use original thought? We're crafting an email to someone. Well, can we use a template that we've already, you know, this is, you know, that we can save us, you know, and so often you go into an office and, There'll be someone, staff member, that's got a spreadsheet that they use. Someone else who doesn't know about it. So then yep. when they've got to do a calculation, let's say for a, I don't know, capital gain, or you know, they're, they're using original thought for something that's relatively routine. So that so was the I, whole, yeah. I love it. I, I talk about it. It's different wording, but I talk about work hard once. Yeah. In other words, if you do a little bit of effort earlier on to, to write the template, you know, dictate the process, tell somebody else about it, put it onto a central place, then you may never have to do it again. I think that's, I, I totally agree. I love yeah, it. And, and, you know, we all understand that takes a little bit of more work initially, and that's part of what we've had to address. You know, people people get all this. So, you know, but in the moment, working, you know, you just go, yeah, okay. But, you know, we're often working, you know, you know, in the business. We're not working on the business. So we don't have that time frame. So, you know, part of even outsourcing is to create extra capacity to allow people to then actually have the time to start doing some of this sort of stuff. Give me two, uh, we're going to get into the questions because there's some really good ones, but give me two, I, I love this because I'm, I'm, I'm very big on, on being able to, you might have to work a little bit harder at the beginning to build something that way, but if you get it right, what happens is the more your business grows, you get to a point where you realize that it, it's, it starts to operate much more easily. But give me two more tips that you've learned about, you know, helping advisors and uh, work smarter than harder. That was great, by the way, work hard ones. What else have you got? What else have I got? Um, I would, I would say that um, understanding capacity, so okay. capacity planning, and, and in fact, let me go back because there's one thing I need to clarify. So, I often say to people, "Are you a business owner that owns a financial planning business, or are you a financial planner that owns that you know?" Um, that owns a bit, you know, that owns a business. I, in other words, do you have a job or do you have a business? Yeah, and, and what's your mindset? So if your mindset is you love financial planning and, that, and then you just happen to have a business that supports that, that's okay. But the way you'll approach things, the way you'll look at things, etc., may need to be quite different. I, yeah, if you see yourself as a business owner that happens to run a financial planning business, the way you might look and think about things, um, you know, would be different. Yeah. And we all obviously start out probably as the financial planner, um, but it's just what path you want to chose. And I go, if you, if you love financial planning, you know, maybe you want to be lean, mean, keep it pretty, you know, a, a good boutique offering. It's all about, you know, the value you and maybe a couple of staff bring, fine. But you can look at ways to sort of, you know, make that as, as, as profitable as you can. If your mindset is you want to scale something, you see yourself more of a business owner, you know, you're going to look at things differently. And then that's where capacity planning 
you know, and you mentioned about Sherlaws, it was something that I learned back there, is if someone talks to me about their revenue, yeah, I go, you know what, that's a mildly interesting number. <laughs> Man, I love it. Because what I really want to understand is what could you be doing? Right? So revenue and they, they you know, we talk talk about revenue is really just your running rate. Yeah. But what's the capacity that you could be delivering right now? Yeah. And if you're at capacity, which I often see in advice businesses, it normally means that you're going to have problems. Yep. You have staff turnover. You're going to have people burnt out. You're going to start to see errors. You're going to have clients leave, these sorts Love of things. It. So, like I had a conversation with a business recently, and um, I'm not going to name names, but basically a conversation went like this. I've just got no time for doing anything. And on top of, you know, I've just got, I've got leads coming in. I've got, I'm going to get plans out. And on top of it, we're not hitting the revenue targets. And I just stopped and I went, so let me guess right. You've got loads of business coming in and you've got no time, but you're not hitting your revenue targets. It's just, you, you can't scale. You cannot grow a business unless you've got healthy profit margin. Cause at the beginning is when you need to charge more. Cause that's when you need to invest in your staff, your training, your, your systems. And too many businesses get it the wrong way around. They think they'll charge more later on. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, the ability to manage capacity and go, don't wait until you're full and you're everyone's stressed and then go, right, we better go and hire someone now. You know, it's actually planning. And, you know, this is a challenge because labor costs in Australia are so expensive. Yeah, they're crazy. Hold off as long as we can. And that's one of the reasons that we believe the outsourcing can help because you can build capacity for yeah. future, you know, and so that it's it's not a stressful up, you know, full, then we add, you know, this sort of a journey um, without really, you know, having a huge impact on profitability. So that'd be a couple of things that, that I would, you know, I would, you know, give us tips, etc. Um, very, very useful. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I, if I give you one more, can I, because this is something, yeah, of uh, across the road here, I've got a, um, um, my neighbour is um, is a, is a doctor at the ER, at the emergency area um, up in Yusa, um, and talking to him, and I was just sort of you know interested in you know how they deal with you know the busy days, you know, and up here it's probably more just you know sprains and strains and football injuries or whatever. But you know when you get the emergency, um, and his quote to me is, "I only do what a doctor can do." Okay. So he said for us to be able to, you know, get, you know, I only do what I'm, you know, if I'm getting involved in, you know, ordering, you know, the bloods or seeing whether the results from the, you know, uh, x-rays have come back or following up things, etc., then I'm a cog, you know, I'm slowing up the process. Yeah. So we've got nurses or assistants or other people that can be doing all of that sort of work. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, yeah. And I just, I just, uh, and I just went, you know what, that's, you know, as advisors, do we go, you know, I'm only doing what an advisor can do. Am I doing the high skilled stuff that, you know, that it needs to be? And often we would have to say no. Um, and I used to think, you know, when I was sitting there doing some work, I go, well, if I want to, you know, if my rate is two, three, four hundred dollars an hour, if a client was sitting here watching me do this work, would they be happy to, put, you know, that this is a high-valued task? You know, and that's the yeah. way I used to try and think about it. 
But anyway, there's a couple of things. Cool. Well, I read an article once about Elon Musk and someone asked, it was on Quora, yeah, how does Elon Musk get so much done? And Ooh. this person gave a perfect answer. He said, look, there's no secret to it. He does it pretty much the way that all high, you know, uh, ranking CEOs, et cetera. They basically are so good at delegating the stuff they don't want to do and they're not good at um, that they've been able to get that capacity. In actual fact, they take it to the next level. They delegate the delegation to someone else. And that's really it. It's like if you, if you as a person have got stuff coming at you and you, don't, you know you shouldn't be doing you know you're not good at it, but you're not able to build, you know, build the systems or delegate it or find the people, ultimately it's kind of like uh, what's that whole Japanese thing they talk about, you know, promotion to the point of incompetency. That's essentially what you're doing. You're, you're loading your plates to the point where you actually can't do anything anymore. Yeah. Dude, let's talk about the timeline and then let's get stuck into some questions. So founded cool. in 2013. Yes. Was it when, how big was it when it kicked off? It was you, your partner. Um, so myself and my partner, we're the two Davids, David Deegan, David Carney, or they call us uh, affectionately DC and DD. Um, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're quite different um, personalities. Dave's very operational, very uh, process systems. You know, as much as I talk about these things, I'm very much more, a, I suppose, a bit more entrepreneurial. And so we're a really good match. Yep. Although we, you know, we have our, our have our days as far as because of being opposites, but the combination, you know, they call us yin and yang, the staff. Um, so, um, but we started with two two people. Um, okay. We did a pilot program uh, with one of the clients I was working with today, and they they're still with us today. And I think they've got eleven staff, uh, might be twelve actually, because they just put okay. on another. Um, but so we piloted. Now we knew. Um, that a lot of the process, a lot of the systems, my partner had been working with someone in the Philippines. Um, And, you know, we knew that, you know, conceptually you could get these sorts of things done. But he was, you know, he was very anal. He was very processed. He was very direct, you know. So, but I go, you're not the typical advice firm. You're not the typical, you know, that's, you know, like, can we scale this? But also what we sat around and said, what are all the risks, you know, what are all the, the you know, the IT um, risks and those sorts of things? Because I, I sort of said, I never want to sit across, you know, the, you know, the desk from an advisor and say, hey, look, you know, your data has been compromised. You know, I said, I never want to have to have that conversation. So we sat there and talked about all the potential risks and how we would deal with IT and all those sorts of things. And then that was when we sort of, you know, went through in a, a bit of a pilot program. Okay. Um, so then we got to, um, you know, we grew through, uh, put on our, I don't know, it's sort of, you know, I, I presented at a, uh, it was an AMP national conference actually, which was, okay. you know, um, and then from there we got quite a lot of referrals off the back of that. Uh, and then, you know, we're pretty much on our way. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So how many AMP national conferences when? Oh, that was 2014. 2014, okay. So yeah. how many staff did you have in 2015? Um, I think probably then we might have had around, I remember 34 was a number that we thought, oh, if we get to this number, we're going to be break even. It'll all sort of, anyway, um, it's sort of then infrastructure and the, the amount of resources and things, you know, but that was sort of a significant sort of number. So that was probably towards the end of that year. And, and at that time we were um, what they call seat leasing, so just sharing like a... An office, a, yeah. And then I remember one of the key things we realised is we had to build culture. And 
I said to the guys, you can't build a you can't build your own culture in someone else's house. And, I like that. And it was like, you know, we had to go and get, you know, we had to fit out our own and put the infrastructure so we could control exactly how we wanted it. You know, um, I, you know, we, you know, typically if you come to the Philippines, a lot of the call centre plate, you know, they have the desks with the all the divides around and all this sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. We don't have any of that. Uh, I want an open floor. I wanted communication. I need dialogue between. I want them to share, you know, not client-specific personal, you know, but help each other out. We have a huge amount of engagement. You know, now that we've got, you know, 350-odd people that are doing basically the same sorts of things, there's a lot of resources to support each other. So which was the year, obviously, we got 34 in 2015. What was the year where it just went bing? Yeah, look, I think... Uh, we actually then set our big, hairy, audacious goal um, okay. around that time. Um, and that is that we wanted to change how advice is delivered in Australia, be recognised as the best place to work in the Philippines with 500 staff, 200 clients. That was, gotcha. our, that was our objective. And we were around about 34 at this time. And obviously, with a, a big goal like that, you have no idea how you're going to do it. And, you know, the thought of that was, you know, completely scary, you know, we'll be, um, I think, you know, well into probably 400, you know, by the end of the year, you know, we'll hit that goal. So we actually set that for 2025, but we'll hit it in 2020, um, you know, which is the power of sort of setting an objective. But um, I reckon then we're probably, you know, we hit, hit a bit of a barrier around 30 odd people. Then yeah. you hit a barrier probably at 100. Um, you, you've been listening to Hiroshi Mikitani. His rule of threes and tens, right? No, I don't know anything oh, about sure. that. Let me, let me explain very quickly. So yeah. Hiroshi Mikitani of Rabutan, he, I think Tim Ferriss shared it. He said he has a rule that says whenever your business goes through a three or a ten, it completely changes and what worked before will no longer work. So the first barrier is when you have three people, everything yeah. changes. Then when you hit ten, you have to change everything again and then 30, then 100, and then 300, and then 1,000. And that's actually one of the reasons why big companies find it hard to change because – the gap between when you've got 10,000 people and 30,000 people is so big and there's just no onus to change because what worked before still works. Yeah. No, well, I would, you know, uh, you know, well, we're not at the thousand yet, but certainly uh, at the, th you know, certainly at the 30, the hundred, you know, was definitely, you know, uh, a lot of change. And then we pushed through hundred to 200 um, and, you know, really at probably, we probably slowed a bit then and actually had to really think about some things um, and how we did it. We did have a power planning offering that I'd done as a joint venture with another um, sort of a, a girl here in Australia that had power planning and I had to make some tough decisions to go, you know what, we have to, we have to exit that. Uh, and we lost some staff as a result of that. We had to rebuild. Um, but now, you know, I'm so you know, glad that we went through that because, you know, our offering and what we do and how we've structured things is, is so much, uh, you know, so, so better suited to the clients that we've got. Okay. We've got a bunch of questions. I, I do want to come back actually. And I want to talk a bit uh, before we sort of finish, I want to talk a bit about the lessons that you've learned as you're growing, because I think um, a lot of businesses at the moment, outside of just outsourcing, a lot of businesses are struggling to, to see, um, well, if I bring on more people, that isn't necessarily going to make me more profitable, which is a real paradigm. So we'll come back to that because I really want to learn a yep. bit about that. Uh, but let's jump into some questions. I, I'm, I just want to say I am 
I know we've uh, we have we've talked a little bit about the the conference coming up. Yeah, uh, you really kindly invited me over, and I'm going to run uh, a couple of sessions over there for anybody who's coming. But um, I'm really I'm doubly looking forward to it because I'm we're going to spend some time in Sabre, which is you know right next to the beach. We're going to sit down and do a bunch of planning. David runs a an offshore conference in Sabre once a year. Is it once a year? Yeah, once a year. Mm. And we basically, we go over there, we do a bunch of planning. There's a bunch of businesses who are clients, some who aren't clients, some who are thinking about clients, but I'm, I'm going to come over there and uh, we're going to deliver a session and we're also going to do some kind of, you know, off-cuff off planning and just, just getting to know a bit about your business and helping out. So uh, if anybody's interested in that uh, it is, it, and you've not been over the Philippines, you've not sort of been over there and really understood how it works, it, it's a hugely beneficial thing, not to mention... Uh, the fact that it's going to be a hell of a conference. Do you want to add anything to that? Uh, yeah, look, I was uh, I was going to offer a special, um, which is that it's $2,100 for the conference. That's flights, accommodation, um, food, you know, like that's the whole sort of... It's a really good deal. Yeah. If people want to book their own or whatever, then it's a $1,000. Um, it's a sort of four-day, culminates with a, you know, we do a bit of social stuff and have a big uh, talent and rewards night. But if anyone then wants to, you know, come up, investigate, and then decides to come, you know, move forward, we'll offset that cost of the conference uh, against their initial fees, you know. Yeah. So um, as a bit of a look, you know, because we back ourselves to go, look, if, if, you know, if you come up and you see and you understand, you know, if we can't make it work, you know, that's, there's something wrong. Um, and that's a perfect way to spend time with our document writers, our trainers, because we give a fair bit of time between conference sessions. Um, but that's something that I was going to do, you know, exclusively for the... Yeah, we'll, we can talk about it again at the end, but I wanted to mention yeah. it now, just in case people have to go. Is there a website for that, by the way? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a link to the to the landing page on the conference, um, which I can get, I think I've given to you, but um, otherwise I'll share. And you know where it is? I've got my web browser in front of me. Is it, is it, yeah, if you can grab and it. Just, yeah. If they just indicate in their notes, you know, they've been on this session, the girls have worked that out. We'll sort it out. Okay, so let's jump into some questions because there's some really good ones and then we'll come back. So um, the, the ta kind of task that can outs outsource, let's just do a bit of a brainstorm uh, for a typical advice business. And maybe I'll throw, do you want me to throw a bunch at you and you can say yes or no? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so, uh, you know, basic email management, diary management. Yep. Uh, okay, great. Um, producing ROAs. Uh, yeah, so any advice document. Um, so, and then it just depends on the skill level. So if they're sort of maybe foundation SOAs or a basic sort of ROA type document, et cetera, um, an admin person, you know, if, you know if, if it's relatively just, you know, cut, paste, do this, follow this process, you know, and they're not having to do modelling or thinking, you know, like strategies or those sorts of things, then, you know, definitely we can have an admin person do that. Have to be uh, conscious. Some licensees have requirements as to who can do advice documents. So they might say that it must be RG146 or something like that, which all our paraplanners are, um, but definitely can do all of that right through to, you know, you know full SOAs. Beautiful. What about managing workflow, like using an X-Plan or uh, yeah, making sure that tasks get done? Yeah, so... Again, you know, I, I mean, I advocate that, you know, you should be doing um, audio file notes straight after the meeting into your, um, into your phone. Uh, it just gets sent off. You don't have to, it, and, and basically they get the file note 
if they know it's an audio file note, then as long as you you know and you you've got we've got some structure about how you might design it, then at the end of it you can go action items and you can get them to trigger all the workflows. So you know, and then they can actually you know, and whether they're doing all of that workflow depending on you know what's required. Absolutely, building workflows. Um, so you know, they can certainly be involved in that. That may not be task number one, uh, but as they get you know more comfortable and you get more comfortable. Um, because when we know, you know, depending on the type of clients, we have some that have some good processes, some that have no processes, but by the nature of bringing in outsourcing, we're going to have to review that and work out what are we going to let go of. So we're going to have to make some changes to the workflows and processes anyway. Um, and we go, well, how do we optimize? How do we do this better? Those sorts of things. What else? Uh, I'm actually just going to look, give me a second. I'm going to bring up, we have a module in the program, which I know, you know, uh, I think you know about called the role audit. And, yep. uh, this is actually something I run anybody, any business who's trying to outsource or finds themselves a bit busy, will jump in and usually sort of uh, do a bit of work on this. It's called the role reboot, which is a, based on the idea that we spoke about. Yeah. So, um, Again, you know, depending on the level of marketing. So we have a number of our admins, we call them financial planning assistants. Um, so those guys can certainly manage basic marketing functions. They're all tech savvy, you know, Filipinos use Facebook more than any country in the world. You know, yeah. um, they are, you know, across all those sorts of things um, to a degree. <laughs> but then if you want, websites built or design or like you know some of them may have certain skills you know but you know we're not necessarily recruiting for that but we do have a marketing team so um we have a content writer we have a videographer we have graphic designer and we have a web sort of guy um and they do work for some of our clients on a one-off engagement but a lot of like and, and so if it but if it's marketing execution type stuff supporting you know then definitely there's certain things and again you know if it can be processed if it can be documented if it you know then you know they can be doing it and we do a lot of that love it let's uh let's pull a few more look i to be honest i reckon it's probably one of those situations that if you as an advisor sat down and went through a process of listing out what's all the things i do on a daily weekly monthly basis marketing new clients client servicing administration team management technology financial management I reckon there's a good chance that 50 to 60% of, uh, when you break it down into small pieces, 50 to 60% of what you do, in all honesty, can be done by someone else. And then it's just simply a case of finding someone who's got the skills, giving them the process, and just committing to not doing it anymore. And I, I think we could spend, probably spend an hour going through all of the, the support that can be done. But I think my take on, on talking to you, David, is the truth is that there's so much that advisors do they don't have to. And in most cases, if you, there's something you don't want to do anymore, Start by deciding what that is and then go from there. Would you agree? Yeah, that's right. And, and look, we've, we've got a document which is the 90 tasks you can outsource. Um, oh, cool. and, you know, you know, we can share that, but they're all advice-specific tasks. So they're all part of the advice process, we would say. Gotcha. Um, or most of them. Um, but, you know, our clients, you know, they're you know, um, you know, doing so much more. Um, you know, our biggest client, which is a, a large firm, you know, multiple advisor practice, you know, we do, we have people that do their payroll, do their bookkeeping, do their um, database management, they use Salesforce, there's a lot of, you know, they have a, a lot of data um, with marketing support, you know, all those sorts of things. SOS, okay. SOS come up a few times. Do you do SOS for things like uh, 
aged care, insurance and soup. I mean, how what, what range of SOA support can you guys provide? Yeah, we've got, a, and again, that's a little bit more specialised, but we've got uh, a couple of firms that specialise in aged care and we've got a couple of girls that, you know, are, are doing all the power planning using specific software on that. Now, in that case, there's more of a, where we go, well, we're not necessarily teaching all of that through our normal training. So we need to talk to the, and, and go, well, okay, what do we need? Where do we go? And there may be a little bit more effort that's needed by the practice because we don't train everyone in, in that. But if that's what, if, and that's why when we engage people, it's like understanding really what you want to do. But certainly, you know, um, you know, it can be taught. And, and in fact, I think there's a testimony on our website um, by one of our, our, our guys and he specialises in aged care and, and, and um, you know, he's really happy. That's awesome. What about compliance notes, uh, file noting, updating the database, um, research? Is that something that you guys do as well? Yep, all that. So product research is a big one. Um, I, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things that we do, sitting on the phone, the super funds and, <laughs> and just getting all the data, putting all that together. Again, that's an admin task. Um, so that will be all prepared maybe before then, you know, and a you know, the, the preparation for, for the power planning, those sorts of things. Um, one of the things that we do in power planning is we try to resist, you know, the need for our firms to have to do a power planning instruction form. Because I know when I was advising and, and I'm sure others, you know, you feel like by the time you fill in the instruction form for the outsourced power planning, um, you might as well have written the plan yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Totally. What about um? What about fact finding? Do you have um team members who can jump on an online call and do fact finding with a client? Um, haven't done a lot of it. Um, but we have I, one firm, you know, particularly, you know, did, you know, did do some of that work. Um, they're not with us anymore, but that's not to do with us. I think it was to do with their particular business model and where that okay. was. It was very much a, a sort of sales driven sort of, you know, but um. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, those sorts of things could be done. Uh, we do, you know, obviously do a lot of data entry in an X-Plan or coin or, mid okay. or you know, off the, um, you know, the handwritten fact finds. And I'm amazed, you know, like I see all the time that post up little images on our chat, you know, can anyone read this, you know, like trying to decipher <laughs> like doctors. Um, words or suburbs or things like that. So that's always a bit of a challenge if the handwriting is not so good. Beautiful. A um, couple of questions from Eddie. Uh, it's quite a wide thing. I'd like to know how you guys work and how we could integrate it in a work process. Can you, what I'd like to do, and also there's one from, uh, I think Ian wants to know a little about compliance and control. And, and Ian's got a question also about how do you get access to platform product provider logins without upsetting our current process? This is kind of key. And I know that a lot of licensees tend to get a bit nervous about this area in particular. So can you explain a little bit about how it works in terms of, uh, you know, the security in terms of do they the staff work directly for the business? Can you give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So we don't do a per task based roles. Okay. Um, and that's the same for power planning as it is for admin. So um as in uh you they just send you tasks and, and they don't have a dedicated uh, support yeah, stuff. So we don't use a, like a pool of resources which you tasks, you know, um, it's dedicated. So they would be dedicated to the practice. So they're okay. essentially an extension of your workforce. Okay. Um, and so then you would provide them with 
you know, the logins or the accesses to whatever it is that they need to. Um, so if you've got, you know, cloud-based servers and we would need to, you know, work out what accesses, what folders, if it's, you know, servers, then we need to work out, you know, whether you need to, you know, have uh, exchange server access. And we've got IT that sort of walks with and those sorts of things and works out, just like anyone that you wanted to maybe have access remotely. Um, for X plans, whatever, then they'd log in. What we do is though, we set up a system where we password protect, so we encrypt all passwords, so our staff members never know what the passwords are. Okay. Um, okay. And that sort of restricts it. The only place they can actually log in and do work is in our office location, where we have you know, software that monitors everything that they do if, you know, um, and alerts us if there's, you know, things that we're suspicious about, um, you know, and, and a whole raft of other things, you know. Beautiful. So that's how we sort of deal with, uh, I suppose, some of that, you know, the, the security side. Does that sort of clarify that part? I just Look, it, it does, and I think when it's always interesting to know is I think there's three main models that are out there. Number one, you can hire someone who works from home. You can hire somebody who works for you but is in a secure office at a location. And I think it's really important in that case to check out you know, what's the office like, what's the environment, what's the culture, or you can hire, you can pay a subscription and get task-based stuff. Uh, yep. My experience has been subscription task-based stuff is, is okay for marketing, but you know, if, you, if, you, if you're going to do something complex, you need to work with somebody you know, pretty consistently. Um, and to that end, I don't think the working from home thing works for many advice businesses simply because the, of the security requirements, which is in many ways is crazy to me because I, I struggle with the idea that someone, you know, someone offshore is any more, more of a security risk than, than somebody in your office. It's the same thing. It's just... Uh, yeah, the, the work from home, obviously that's a lot cheaper um, option. But I mean... You know, you might as well just—I I, I just go. Well, you might as well not have anything in place. Like you, it's there's two requirements under your privacy policy. Yeah. Um, that it, you know, if you look at the depth of that, but basically it says you must disclose if you're using an offshore, um, which most privacy policies through licensees have some disclosing words that we may use third parties and they may be offshore. That's yeah. first. The second one is you've got to take reasonable steps to protect the data. And I don't know how anyone would be able to stand up and defend that they've got a Filipino working in an environment that, you know, they, these guys don't, they, you know, they're not using the latest technology. They're not using the latest firewalls and the protections and those sorts of things. So, you know, and you don't even know who's doing the work, you know, like, you know, that, you know they tell, you know, they, you know, they might be the front, but they, they might have anyone with the family doing the work behind the scenes sort of stuff. I, I think you can get some really great candidates going direct. Um, but I, I definitely think you need to know the environment a lot better. And I don't, for an advice business, if you've got somebody who's working on client data, the, the privacy requirements, the things you have to put in place, it's just too onerous. Yeah, if you, if you want a logo or you want a website or you want a brochure or anything that's not client specific, you know, that's an option. Um, as soon as we're talking about having them access anything that is, you know, I just, you know, and that, that scares me yeah. because I, I worry about the day when someone's going to get caught and it's going to be pulled through the papers. Yeah. And, that's bad. You know, it's going to affect all of us. So, you know, I talk to licensees all the time to go, well, you need to be really clear on, you know, checking and making sure because we, you know, we want to have things pretty tight. 
Um, yep. You know, we're okay. just we've got or we're waiting on a certificate, but we've completed everything to get what's called ISO 2701, uh, which is a quality security standard. And if anyone just Google's that, it, it's the highest level of information security management system standard. So when we go to a licensee today, you know, if someone's, you know, we normally have to go and educate them about it all. But once the, you know, the people see that, then it's all happy days. Let's talk a bit about if somebody wants to, I, I guess, if somebody wants to engage with you or just find out more or, or start the journey. Um, yeah, look, uh, I mean, certainly I'd suggest, you know, go to our website, have a good look around, um, you know, there's a bunch of resources on there, but you know, you can book an introductory call uh, and that'll go through to one of my, uh, or our head of client um, services, uh, Sheehan, and Sheehan will just give you a call. And, and if you just say that you were on this um, here, you know, and, and so, you know, I get the Filipinos involved very early so that you get experience. You know, I think it's an important thing that, you know, you know, so the first contact you'll have, she and chat and, and you, you know, you can ask yeah. questions and get a bit of a feel and you get an understanding of, you know, knowledge, et cetera. But then typically we just run a quick meeting like this, go, what are your challenges? What are your needs? This is how we might be able to support things. Um, so away we go. Hmm. Beautiful. So pop it in there and just yeah. ask an embarrassing question. Okay, cool. And Yeah, uh, that's an online chat. Or then there's uh, just at the, if you go up to the getting started. Cool. There's another link at the bottom. There she is. You can just book a, Select a time, um, slot, a time right. slot. That should come up with a calendar. Time and slot. You can ju jump in, ask ask questions about what you're doing, don't do, chat a bit about sort of their experiences, get a bit more information or whatever you want to do. You'll yep. have a chat. Lovely. Yeah, so Jesus does it. We, we just call that a preliminary call just to sort of fill out and, you know, uh, and then yeah, she'll either book that. Um, I'm on holidays at the moment. This is sort of, I'm, I'm having the month of. Uh, of June off, but I uh, just thought I'd do this for, uh, you know, for the, for you, Stu. So that was uh, all good. But um, otherwise, um, Tim will sort of take the call and Tim okay. handle all that. Mm. When it comes to scaling a business, like 370 staff from 30. Yep. What, what have you, what have you learned that you think is relevant to an advice business that, even, you know, even if they just want to go from three to 10 or, and they want to be profitable, what have you, what, what's the, what's the trick? Um, it's funny, I, I went to the Disney Institute um, last year and did some studies. So if you ever get an opportunity, it's a great thing to do. You can take your family to Florida. Disney, yeah, so Disney runs... They, they run the best clients, client service program yep. in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and they run a training program. And I, I, I took one of our staff, our, our head of training and development, we went over there. And one of the things that they said is that Disney are intentional where others may be unintentional. So they really look at things that they want to be really intentional about. Right. And I sat there and I said, gee, that's actually us. There's things that we do that we're really intentional about that people don't even, others don't even, it's not even on their radar. So I'd say, you know, how you, you know, and that in advice business, I don't know, is I, I think it's all about, you know, the things you do around the client what you're really intentional about, about your experience, how you introduce them to a team, not an individual, you know, are you, you know, first time you meet them, are you walking them through and saying, these are all the people that support, you know, little things like that, that I think allow you then to, you know, as you grow to be able to, you know, bring three people through and hand clients over, you know, cause often then, you know, we always worry about that dependency. So, you know, you're always across things, but you don't have to be in things is the way I position the clients. For us, though, the key things were culture, 
you know, happy staff, happy clients. You know, if they're happy and they're engaged, they go the extra mile for our clients. That makes a huge difference. Relationships, it is, you know, whether you're in our, like I think any business, but particularly advice businesses, it's all about the relationships. If I was in our business or any business, I would be just training a lot more on soft skills. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I'd be training on the soft skill elements of things. We run a, a thing called self-leadership, situational, lead, you know, but we're continually, you know, which helps to build relationships, which helps to, you know, foster those sorts of things. Um, and then if you get all that, I reckon, then it enables you to hire good people. And if you manage your costs, what's called your labour efficiency ratio, how much for every dollar of labour do you get in revenue? And if you can yeah. allocate some of these tasks to outsourcing, you can hire the best people out there. And, you know, I think if you get the best people, you win. Love it. But well, let's talk about the future. A very quick question about the future. Where industry's going through a whole bunch of stuff. Yep. Talk to me about how you see it from outsourcing perspective. What do you see as the next, um, the next sort of wave of, of demand or changes that are going to occur, particularly in, in your space working with advice firms? Yeah, look, you know, we're, we're working and, and about to launch, we'll probably launch out our conference is what we call our uh, advice assurance sort of service, which is all about, you know, ongoing quality, you know, assurance, auditing, work. Uh, we've got a couple of practices that we're already doing that work where, you know, we're not waiting until the auditor is coming down and going, right, let's tidy up all the files, but everything's being yeah. checked and monitored and those sorts of things. Um, you know, so I think that'll be an area that, We'll can you know, and we have a, a QA team that do a lot of our vetting and stuff for power planning, but that's just the, it's the same skill set that we can just expand into there. So, from an outsourcing, I think that's a growth area. I think, um, you know, I think it's it's marketing, you know, getting the right positioning, um, and being able to differentiate. I think it's an ex, I mean, it's an exciting time for the right businesses, um, totally. And, and we see that day in, day out. For us, you know, there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of opportunity because, you know, of, of I guess, the immediate problems with all the remediation work that's happening and, you know, there's just, you know, finding quality staff in Australia is going to be challenging. challenging. But I always yep. think it's a combination of technology and outsourcing. I agree. Um, that, that'll be the, the winner. Um but it, you know, I don't think it changes. It was, when I sort of first got my AFSL, it was all about building, you know, what we call client-centric, you know, advice. And you know, somewhere along the way, the the, the industry got a bit lost in that. Um, yeah. But I think you know now that's that's the future. Um, it is absolutely. It is. I Silicon Valley's kind of lived away with that as well. Yeah. So, David, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. I, I reckon we could keep going, but, uh, man, it's been fun. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Shall do. Um, enjoy your first day of being 50. Yes. And, uh, I'll, chat to, I'll chat to you. I'll probably chat to you next week about what's coming up and, and the plan. But once again, thanks very much. It's been super useful. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the weekend. Cheers. There we go, ladies and gents. I hope you enjoyed that. That is another podcast masterclass, uh, absolutely virtuoso performance from David. I hope you got something out of it. If you're going down the route of outsourcing or you've been down that route, for me, I think this is one of five areas in advice businesses, whether you're an advisor, accountant, or just uh, a broker, anybody who you're looking to sort of free yourself from that time uh, for money sort of trap 
Outsourcing is a big one. Uh, often, you know what? Sometimes people say to me, oh, yeah, outsourcing is just about lower cost. You know what? It's not. It's about freeing yourself from the constraints of only being able to hire people within your 10-kilometer radius. It's kind of joining the global thing. And frankly, uh, you know, it's not just about cost. It never has been. It's about quality of people and a, a bunch more. It also, by the way, as you gathered from my conversation, it can be one of the catalysts for making you take that leap into systematizing, which is never a bad thing. As always, I hope you've enjoyed it. If this is your first time, welcome. Feel free to subscribe. Uh, feel free to check out the information we've got. And uh, that's it from me. Have a great week and I'll speak to you soon.